Okay, well, I'm just going to hit record, and then whenever we jump into it, we jump into it. Great. Great. I hope this part makes it on the podcast. Welcome back to the Respond Worship Podcast. My name is Jeremiah. And my name is Ryan. And we are your hosts. Ryan, how's your week been? It's been a week. It's been uh, five, six days of a camp that my church puts on, um, kindergarten through eighth grade. That sounds terrifying. It it sounded more tiring than just an elementary or just a junior high camp. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I can verify that, yes, it is. <laughs> just as tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah. I, uh, it was a ton of fun. I got to be a narrator and tech guy for all the skits. Um, I got to lead worship, um, mostly from the drums, but, um, some from, and by lead, I just mean direct, uh, from the drums. I didn't sing anything from the drums into a microphone, but so I had a full week of that full week of, uh, dunking on kids at the basketball hoop in the pool. Um, yeah. Full week of staying up late and playing board games with camp counselors. So I'm super tired. Yeah. I bet you are. Yeah, so this podcast is going to be great. <laughs> well, I'm still recovering from a week of vacation. Uh, my oh. family and I went on a week-long road trip. I have a six-year-old boy and a nine-year-old boy, and uh, my wife and I decided to go on a road trip with them. Uh, it's, I think it's our first major road trip that we actually did together. Yeah. And, you know, all things considered, it went pretty well. Uh, you know, my six-year-old, we're trying to teach him contentment, and that's hard sometimes, not wanting everything that you see. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, throwing fits kind of comes along with not getting what you want. I'm sure some of us can relate to that, but, uh, yeah, all in all, it was great. We had a great time and, uh, yeah, just trying to recover, getting back into the swing of things again before school starts back next week. Yeah. Yeah. It is next week. That's close. I know. Yeah. Me and my family took a road trip when I was 10 and it was a great road trip. Um, mostly because we had a TV in that van with an N64 oh, and we man. played Star Fox <laughs> and Donkey Kong and uh, they were like, man, look at these mountains. And I was like, man, look at this barrel I'm throwing at this other guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, that sounds very familiar. My son was on the <laughs> Nintendo Switch. My other son was playing Minecraft on the iPad. So anytime we would tell them to check out a, a view, they'd be like, oh, cool. And then go back yeah. to the game. We did that. We totally said another rock, another tree. When it was like, Grand Canyon National Park, and it's right. the most beautiful, <laughs> like, you were just like, another rock. Oh, we were, it was great. <laughs> well, hey, this is an auditive extension of our annual Respond Worship Retreat, and there at the retreat, we exist to serve worship teams in this way, to inspire worship ministries for greater effectiveness, instruct teams in worship skills, and to ignite a community of worship teams, and that's why we started this podcast, was so that we could potentially hopefully start a community of worship teams. Um, So we'll probably say it again later on, but if you have any suggestions on how we can make this podcast better moving forward, if you have any questions that you would like answered by us um, during a podcast episode, if you have any ministry wins, please share those with us because we definitely want to hear from you. Yeah. We, that's stuff we are dying to put in here. We've um, shared one or two ministry wins and ministry stories so far. Um, but we'd love to, to hear from you, put your own voice and hear your own experiences, um, and, and let that be a a blessing and, and almost a ministry to the other people who listen, um, and are going through similar stuff. Right. And you can contact us at podcast at respondworship.org podcast. Yeah. Podcast at respondworship. That's how emails work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Dot org. Right. Dot org. Yep. Great. Well, In previous episodes, which is just two with us currently, but um, we decided that we wanted to suggest a resource each time in our our episodes, something that could be useful for your ministry. And this week we chose to showcase Song Select. Select. I'm glad we did that together. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) That made it better. Yeah. Uh, So Song Select is a great resource. If you are looking for any worship song, literally any worship song that you could think of, uh, really any hymn, and you don't have, uh, you know, a physical copy of that, 
you can go to this website, search up the song, and it'll give you every key of that song. Uh, you can find court sheets, you can find lead sheets, and that's primarily why I use it. Um, for my team, Is I have a couple piano players that are classically trained, and they like to have the lead sheets so that they can actually read the music along with us. What do you mean by lead sheet? Does it have all the chords all along with it, or just the melody line? It does or? have the chords written on top of the actual musical notation. Um, but what's nice is that the lead lines for a song are actually written out musically so that yeah. they can play those along with you. And that's, that's a lot, a lot more helpful than trying to, to pick it out by ear for a lot of classically trained musicians. Yeah, that's really cool. I know I've used song select for a long time. We're, we're not sponsored by them or paid by them right. yet. Are you <laughs> yet. listening? Exactly. Song select? exactly. Um, I can't remember a time in my life where the worship ministry I was a part of did not use song select. Mm-hmm. That being said, when I go back and look at it um, in more depth than what I use every week, I always find stuff that's really helpful. So um, like he said, you can find chord charts on there and you can transpose them to whatever key you want. Yep. It'll show you the original, but you can do whatever you want. Um, it has lead sheets. Like he was saying, um, I also find their, uh They have a CCLI top 100 list. Mm. Um, and this isn't like the top 100 funnest songs to play on the radio. They actually have churches reporting what they're using. Right. Um, and so you're getting a pretty accurate, um, kind of head count yeah, of representation, songs. Yeah. And so that top 100 is what churches are doing. Mm-hmm. Top 100 songs, churches in the U S at least, um, which is cool doing. because if you use songs from that list, then, you know, you're probably singing a song that many other churches are singing. So it's almost like we're singing together. Yeah. The church down the street is probably doing right. the same top hundred or something close. Yeah. Um, you can also sort, uh, through the songs by theme, which mm. I really love. Um, I love planning worship thematically, not only that way, but, but if all of my songs are about, um, God being King and giving God glory, which are great things. Um, and I'm looking for a song more specifically about God's like tender hearted nature. Mm-hmm. You can sort through themes and find that. Um, so that's super helpful. And also they have a list of public domain songs, um, because technically you're supposed to be licensed to play songs that are not in public domain, even if it's by a worship artist, Mm -hmm. even if it's at your church, you're supposed to have licensing for that. And so if you don't, and you want to be very legally, morally upright, then you can, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to pressure anybody right here, but like there's a list of public domain songs that, um, are totally safe and free to use. Yeah. Well, very cool. And, and there's another aspect on there that I haven't used personally, but I, it might be useful for some. Yeah. There's one last thing on there. And I think they came out with this in the past couple of years. It's called liturgy planning. Uh, if that scared you away, come back. Um, <laughs> it's uh, a part of their website. I remember during the announcement, Audrey Assad was like, look, liturgy planning is coming out. And I was like, cool. Um, I didn't know what it was. Though. Uh, but basically um, they're, they're talking about and to high churches uh, who have a thing called the lectionary and they go through the same scriptures every for in a three-year rotation that every other church using the same lectionary does. So they're reading these scriptures and then um, have their service ordered in a certain way. And there are certain um, kinds of themes you try to fit or uh, aims you try to fit with songs at certain points in the service. Um, so at the very beginning, um, you might have an entrance chant and then um, before you uh, take offering or, or you're about to celebrate communion, you have a preparation of the gifts in the altar and you'd have a song for that and whatever. So they have lists of songs that are specific to every week of the lectionary of the, of the whole year church calendar thing mm-hmm. for a three year rotation. They have songs for all of that, for every part of the service, um, so if you're a church that does that, that's great um, for you to use. Also, we I, I don't know anybody who doesn't use any part of the church calendar mm. at the very simplest Easter and Christmas. Right. So right. if you're looking for some good Easter songs, some good Christmas songs when those times come up, or if your church does anything else, if you guys do um, Lent before mm-hmm. Easter, um, or, or if you Friday celebrate or... the season of Pentecost. Yeah. Um, if you good Friday, Holy week, all that mm-hmm. Advent or Advent for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any of those, um, you can just pop into the liturgy planning part and see, um, what they suggest that you could do 
um, to fit different aims of certain songs in your service. Yeah. So song select, check it out. And if you already have it, check it out more. All right. So we want to continue the trend of going through the book, The Worship Pastor. We are about to jump on chapter two. Yeah. But as a disclaimer, if this first episode you're hearing, if you haven't read the book, don't worry too much about it. Um, This book doesn't have spoilers because it's not a narrative. Right. It's just like a topical kind of book. Um, And so because of that, we're using the book. um, We're kind of commenting on the stuff in the book, but we're going to talk about it. And this whole book is just here as a conversation starter and guider. Um, So if you've been serving in worship ministry at all, these are conversations you'd probably love to talk about too. So. Yeah. And so chapter two is entitled The Corporate Mystic. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Basically what this chapter says is get a white bed sheet, put it over (laughs) your head, cut out two holes for your eyes, um, and then try to haunt your uh, sanctuary in your church. That's not what it says at all. No, but, that's not. But good try, Ryan. <laughs> How about you tell us what a, what a corporate mystic is or um, what is might be explained as? So the way he, he uh, puts forth the corporate mystic idea, it's kind of a hat that a worship leader should wear, um, is that the world that we live in, um, specifically us, me and Jeremiah, both live in the Midwest. Um, and so the cutting edge of culture and technology hasn't totally reached us yet like fashion trends will usually be five, seven years too late here. So that's maybe a little much, <laughs> right. but they'll, they'll slowly trickle from the coasts inward. Um, and so we have a lot of, uh, modern thinkers. I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit and postmodern thinkers mixed. And, um, uh, both of those things aren't very spiritual in a way we're going to talk about yet. There's, there's this like naturalistic scientific, factual, business-minded, full-scheduled thing that people got going on, Mm -hmm. this culture. And so when they come into church, there's a temptation to be that same way, right? to be just based on what I can see, just based on naturalistic facts, just based on um, what's good for me in this moment, and not based on any spiritual reality. So uh, Zach Hicks has a really good uh, couple of sentences in this book that kind of set it up. Um, this idea, he says, our once enchanted world, a context in which the average person understood life to be a wondrous, fearful interaction between the natural and supernatural realms has been ravaged by modernity's attempt to explain everything in scientific naturalistic terms. Our frantic pursuit of understanding everything from the cellular to the cosmic has dulled our awe and muted our imagination by offering us a false sense of control over the created world. That was a lot. That was um, a lot. But to kind of distill it, he's saying that we've we've drawn back from seeing the world as a place where the natural, the the material world and the supernatural, God and other spirit anyway, um, where those things exist. And we've drawn back to think just what I can see, just what mm-hmm. whatever exists. And those yeah. are the only things I care about. Right. Yeah. So we're disenchanted with yeah. the idea of mystery and we don't leave a lot of room for, for mystery in our, uh, I guess, religious thought. Yeah. We're quick to theologize through the lens that we want to theologize yeah. through. Yeah. Um, real quick, I want to, he talked about our once enchanted world and how the world that we are in now is a frantic pursuit of understanding everything. Um, I want to talk really quick please don't be bored by this <laughs> about um, the three, three basic styles of thought, pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. Mm-hmm. And it'll make sense in a minute. Um, pre-modern thought, think like around the time of Jesus or the ancient Israelites or whatever, the world they lived in, um, they thought life is wondrous. This is pretty much paraphrasing what Zach Hicks just said. Mm-hmm. It's a wondrous, uh, fearful interaction between the natural and supernatural realms. So if you were a farmer, you didn't think only I put these seeds in the ground. I till the ground first and then I do that and then I water them and then they grow. And luck could 
let them grow or hurt them from growing. You thought I put these seeds in the ground. Hopefully the, the ground God is happy <laughs> and then I water it. But if I can't get water enough, hopefully the sky God, the rain God will rain enough and not, not flood these and, but like give them enough water. And then, and then hopefully the sun God will. And so there's, there's this whole interaction mm-hmm. in your day to day job between you and the supernatural. Right. Um, that's just the world they lived in. Oh, you're sick. It's probably a demon. Um, oh, you're whatever. Anyway. Um, and so he also talks about control in this. So in that uh, mode of thought, control is one through, I said, worship or magic. Mm-hmm. What I mean by magic is um, think about Aladdin and the genie. He's right. bound to do whatever you say because of some complex set of rules somewhere. All magic is just trying to leverage some supernatural entity into doing your natural will. Right. Um, so, so if the world is natural and supernatural things coming together, you just try to leverage the supernatural to do your will. And that was the definition of worship for a yeah. lot during that time. Yeah. Zeus is mad at me or, or we can't have kids. The fertility God is mad at me. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I go offer a sacrifice, then we'll get pregnant because right. then they won't be mad at me. Leveraging what I have to, uh, force a God to be okay with. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Modern <laughs> thought. Um, think, uh, the enlightenment, um, think when, when science in the 15 to 17 to 1800s was starting to overcome the power of religious institutions. So, the modern thought idea says that life can be reduced into scientific naturalistic terms and explanations. Um, control is one through exploration, discovery and hard work. If we just keep pushing on trying to figure out this thing, then we will have control over one more area of the world. Right. That is all invention, all science. I'm not saying those things are bad, but that's just like the worldview mm-hmm. of modern thought. Things are black and white. You can figure them out. There's one right answer to everything. Um, and I don't need, I've always heard this. I don't need God to fill in the gaps anymore. We have science or whatever, right. which is so oversimplified, <laughs> but, um, and not true. Right. And but then we have postmodern yeah. thought, right? Postmodern thought right. is, um, I hear a lot of modern thought people make fun of postmodern thought. And it's funny because modern thought is based off of everything is black and white. There's one right answer. Right. Postmodern thought is the exact opposite. Um, life is subjective. Each person can, can and have uh, different experiences than the next person. Yeah. You develop your own version of truth. Yeah. Yeah. And so control in the postmodern world is just assumed for the individual. Mm-hmm. If I don't want to hang out with that group of people, I don't have to. Right. If I don't want to, um, yeah. If I don't want to believe in God, I don't have to. The Christian God may work for you, but not for me. Yeah. And all that's showing is that the person in charge of your life is you, almost in a bad way. Not like you control your own destiny, hopeful, but more like whatever I deem worthy in my life is what I'm going to let in. Mm-hmm. Um, So there's these three different kinds of thought. And he's saying that we've drawn away from the pre-modern way of thinking Mm -hmm. that, that we're Christians. We believe in a God who created everything. He isn't a natural material thing, but he created everything natural material. Right. And he raised Jesus from the dead. And yet we come into church and try to explain everything through naturalistic scientific things mm-hmm. or try to say this part of church was good for me, but this wasn't. And so I didn't like that part. Like, like it's there for us and we're in control. Um, yeah. So that's part of the job of the corporate mystic is to pull people back into the good parts of pre-modern thought because it's honestly just a little silly to think that you believe in God yeah, and you have God, the supernatural being as the Lord of your life, but you don't understand the world as an interaction between the natural and the supernatural or the creation and the creator. It's mm-hmm. another way to put it. Right. So, okay. We have these three thoughts, uh, pre-modern thought, modern thought, post-modern thought. And, uh, you've essentially Ryan laid out a problem Yeah. or how, how these could be construed as a problem within our current worship thought 
occurred in worship environment. Yeah. And so uh, within this, uh, Zach Hicks, actually, he presents a few answers that might actually help us come to a conclusion. Um, and, and the first thing is God's presence in song. And this would be more of a Pentecostal charismatic voice um, where the central focus or the way that uh, we become re-enchanted or we spiritualize our faith is through song specifically. Yeah, that's that's definitely the side that they've emphasized because it's... Uh they do some of these other focuses that the other traditions do, but, but they find, um, the crux of their worship, the, the centerpiece of their encounter with God generally in song. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I really love it. Right. Um, it's kind of awkward though, when, um, that's what, that's where they find their centerpiece. And a lot of the modern worship music writers are charismatic and then churches that are not charismatic are try to do their music. Their we, songs, yeah. we use their music that is centered on the idea that we find God mm-hmm. and hang out with him for lack of a better phrase in music, but we don't understand music that way. So there's this awkward, um, not misuse, but like different worldview thing going on um, with that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like trying to understand a, uh, the language when you go into a different country or something. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's hard to to see how that translates into your your context because you're not really for sure how it's used in the original context a lot of time yeah. because that's, that might not be a part of your tradition. And but to be to be clear, I by charismatic, I don't just mean lively, mm-hmm. um, which lively is part of it, but by charismatic, I more specifically mean like you said. Uh, the Pentecostal tradition, right, um, right? Which is lively, which is very emotive and expressive. Right. Well, let me give you kind of an example, I guess, yeah. of like an experience that I had that yeah. might help kind of put this in perspective a little bit. So, my first experience with the church was actually in a Pentecostal church. So, my parents divorced when I was in the eighth grade, and I moved to a new school. Like one day I was in a school, and the next day I was in a new school. Like just really mm-hmm. quick, quick shift. Um, my, I felt like my whole life fell apart. Um, and so it was kind of interesting. The first person that I met at the new school I went to was a preacher's kid yeah. and he's like, Hey, uh, you should come hang out and, uh, you know, just c- come over to his house, hang out. And so I met his parents and, um, they invited me to church and I, I had some like brief run-ins with church when I was growing up. I, I didn't grow up in the church, but like I had random friends who invite me to different things. Um, uh, mostly Catholic church is where I would go to young, as a yeah. younger kid. Um, but he invited me to church and it was a really interesting experience because I, you know, I sat there and I just watched because this was my first experience here. And, a lot of people were very lively, like you're saying, yeah. you know, just jumping around, uh, running up and down the aisles, um, yelling, shouting, and just to instrumental music. And then, you know, sometimes they would sing and um, it was just a, it was a crazy, like I thought it was fun because I loved, yeah. I loved music in general and like going to concerts and stuff. And it kind of felt like that concert experience, like, oh, like, okay, I can get behind this. And then uh, I started, I started going to the church more. I was kind of involved in the youth group and they asked me to be a part of the worship team because they knew I played guitar. And so I got up there and I really didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) but the worship leader, he wrote all the music for the church. We hardly played any modern worship music. That's kind of awesome. And he's like, yeah, just play what the spirit leads you to play. And so it's like, just this very feely, um, let, let, that was kind of their language. Let the spirit move you to do, um, what it compels you to do. <laughs> but as a, as a random kid in the youth group right, who'd who had barely been to church, who had not been baptized, who had no context at all whatsoever. It was yeah. like going to a different country and trying to understand the language. Yeah. And so I just had, I acted a lot, right. I acted like I was doing things and sometimes I would play a good lick and the guy would look back at me and just kind of give me a head nod <laughs> like, yeah, all that's right. The okay. Best. <laughs> As a, as a worship team member, that's always the most like validating thing. Right. Well, let me back up the second most validating thing. The first most is like somebody in the congregation, just like bawling their eyes out yeah. and you're just like, I did it. <laughs> but that's, but that, no, no, that no, no, as no. a goal, 
<laughs> that comes wasn't from, you. Comes from God's presence in song. Right. Being be like that's where you find God's presence. Mm-hmm. The the Pentecostal charismatic tradition that writes a lot of our music. Mm-hmm. So um it's it's I don't think it's a wrong place to look mm-hmm. for God. I think God is totally he he made us with emotions. Just read the Psalms. Yeah. David goes from crying out and being in such distress and being so worried and anxious and angry mm-hmm. and confused and and this whole this whole array of emotions and and overjoyed right. and confident. This whole array of emotions and not weakly W E A K weak weakly right, um, but like strong emotions. And a lot of you, you look into worship postures mm-hmm. of ancient Israel, God's people yeah, um, and early Christians. And it's not sitting with your hands in your pockets or standing with your hands in your pockets. It is standing arms raised, laying down on your face, like on your front mm-hmm. um, and uh, shouting. And like, so I don't think they have that wrong right. in looking for God in those places. I don't think it's the only answer. Yeah. I don't think it's like the best answer of all of them exclusively, Mm -hmm. but but man, they've got something right. Yeah. People connect with God in many different ways. And I mean, we're going to talk about some more things here, but like, yeah, yeah, if that's the way you connect with God, that's great. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And it's, it's probably like one of the most inviting ones too. Mm -hmm. Um, out of the three we're going to talk about where, where different traditions find God's presence. Um, it's the most inviting one because I feel like um, anecdotally, I've seen the most um, like addiction recovery groups and um, people right out of prison. Um, most of them who get into a church, just my experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is factually true or not. I see more of them go to a charismatic church or at least a lively church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because of the sheer shock and joy and and uh, freedom, I think mm-hmm. that that you find in there, right? So cool. Yeah. In last episode, we kind of talked about the the reformational voice, which is the second one here, uh, yeah. God's presence and preaching, where that's that's kind of the main focus of of this of the service, if you will. Yeah. So so for the reformed tradition, this is Lutherans. Um, there's a newer reformed movement. I say newer, it's not that new, but, but X 29, the gospel coalition, yeah, John Piper, John MacArthur, a little bit, um, Mark Driscoll before Mars Hill sank, um, Matt Chandler, some of those people, um, this whole reformed tradition puts the sermon at the center of the, uh, worship experience and as the place where you find God's presence. Right. Um, it's, it's like the most valuable part of the worship service. But I think um, if we were trying to group these into modern, pre-modern, post-modern, some of those things, um, the the preaching emphasis would be the most modern generally, mm. especially the reformed preaching emphasis. When they emphasize preaching, they're emphasizing facts from the Bible. Right. They're emphasizing what God actually said. And that's how they phrase it usually. they It's... it's um, Preaching is a great, great, great gift for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, if it's tied mostly to the modern thought idea, it is probably the least spiritual. And here's what I mean by that. Um, you can, the the prophets in the Old Testament preached as if God fed them every single word they're giving you. Um, as if God told them in a dream or a vision or a prayer Right. Say this exact thing to these people. And so God's speaking, but it's just my mouth that's moving. Right. Um, but a lot of times the reformed voice, the the preaching emphasis where God's presence is found, is a preacher trying to convince you as a follower of Jesus, but not Jesus' exact words for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Preacher trying to convince you based on God's word um, to give your allegiance to God, to worship him, to surrender to him. Um, yeah, it's, and in doing so, it's more like a lawyer than it is a messenger. Hmm. It's more like a, uh, I don't want to say salesman. I don't, I don't like, I don't think that fully captures it, but, but it's like somebody who's convinced of something that's trying to convince you Mm -hmm. more than it is, um, like them talking for somebody else. Right. And so then we move into the third voice, which is the sacramental voice or God's presence and baptism and the Lord's supper. Yeah. 
So these are the ones I was least familiar with. Mm-hmm. My my church growing up um, practiced preaching, mm-hmm. and it was a lawyer. Maybe that's why I said some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Scott. Um, uh, he, sorry, not was. He is a lawyer. He still is. Um, and he just preached at the church because he could. Yeah. Because he attended. Um, he had before. Um, but he worked at the his law firm every day of the week. Um, and then uh, worship was where I got my start. Of course, we're at the worship retreat. We're part of it. We're worship leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so singing in, in church was like what I f- found awesome and what I got my heart attached to. But this idea, God's presence in baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion um, was so far from, I, I did not get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just took an entire master's degree to try to help me get it. Right. Well, <laughs> to and there's, try a, to understand there's a it. lot of mystery in this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to truly know exactly what's happening in these sacramental yeah. things. This is the most pre-modern of the three we mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say God's presence in song, the Pentecostal charismatic voice. That's the most post-modern. Mm. Um, the most, does it work for me or does it not work right, for me? Right. Is it touching my heart or is it not touching my heart? I'm okay if this doesn't work for you because, yeah, it definitely it's works for me. For me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but God's presence in baptism, the Lord's Supper, is the most pre-modern. Mm-hmm. And again, what I mean by that is it feels like ancient. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're engaging something supernatural right? when when you do it. Um, so the Lord's Supper, I remember uh, communion when I took it as a kid. We always had an elder get up and he always gave a communion meditation and it was always, every single time, Jesus died, be sad about it, um, which is fine. It's totally good. Mm-hmm. So I always experienced communion in the middle of the service um, before the preaching as a, uh, like a funeral, mm-hmm. like a, like a random three minute funeral uh, that you, you shotted some juice and <laughs> ate a little wafer um, and you had to be quiet and you had to be sad. Um and we didn't do it in a very spiritual way, which is why I was so confused mm-hmm. when I learned that you could think about it this way. Um, but then I took a whole program that helped me think about it more. Um, and and I learned that for a lot of high church traditions, so think Catholic, Ang- Anglican, Episcopal, mm-hmm. maybe Lutheran, um, they, they treat communion um, less like Jesus died, be sad about it, and more like um, the Lord's Supper, the, uh, sorry, the last supper, <laughs> Jesus and his, and his, uh, 12 best friends, his, his apostles, they treat it more like Jesus and his table ministry, all the times that he ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and whoever at some house party. Mm-hmm. Um, and they treat it more like the, the final victory banquet, um, in, in eternity with God, the wedding feast of the lamb. And, um, they treat it in those kind of ways where you're actually there, right. Actually with Jesus and God, the father, Mm -hmm. um, actually sharing it with them. It's still reverential. You're still careful with the elements. Um, but God's actually there and Mm -hmm. in a mysterious way, like Mm -hmm. the pre-modern thought idea. Right. Yeah. And this last, uh, voice, the sacramental voice, you know, all these, uh, like baptism and Lord's Supper, those were always kind of a weird thing for me growing up because, you know, my first experience was in the Catholic church. See, I was told to cross my arms and go up to the priest to accept uh, a blessing. It wasn't necessarily, I, I didn't get to eat because I wasn't part of the fellowship, yeah. right? I wasn't, I wasn't baptized believer. Yeah. Um, and so he would perform a blessing, which I always thought was interesting. Like, what is this guy doing? But, um, and so there was always a mystery there. Like, well, what is this? Like I always just kind of yeah. rattled in my mind. And then I would go to, you know, the, the church I had an experience with in high school. Um, and the reason I stopped going to that church is because they put me in the front pew and they try to teach me how to speak in tongues. And that's, I got super weirded out by that and, and left yeah. cause it was just like, it was just too much for me. And yeah. you know, that just wasn't, it was a different culture, right? I just didn't understand it. Um, And, but I never had an experience with communion there. Like that wasn't a a focal point, right? It was just, let's have a good time, song, dance around. Yeah. Um, And then there was some preaching, but it was just, that was still lively and loud and people were still jumping up. And, you know, even during the the time of somebody talking about the Bible, (laughs) like, yeah. um, And so, yeah. And then I come into school learning more about what these things are and having a better appreciation and understanding for, um, these different ways of thought. Yeah. I think, um, a lot of people can be scared away from, 
seeing God's presence in baptism, the Lord's Supper, the sacramental voice, um, because it seems, and I'm going to say this very carefully, kind of culty. It seems like a weird ritual that doesn't make sense factually why I should do it because it doesn't like it, it seems. And I, I use the word culty partly because of the way we use it today, but also because the origin of the word cult is not um, a wrong mini religion, mm-hmm. but it is like a worship practice. This is the the cultic form of worship for the whatever cultic for the ancient Jews was their sacrificial process. Right. It's just the, the activity they did in worship, the cultic thing they did. Um, but one of the ways that helped me understand this is thinking, thinking about, um, these, these more sacramental voice focuses like family traditions. Mm -hmm. Think about a family who's really close, a mom and a dad and two kids, a sister and a brother. Um, Think about them having every Friday set aside for a pizza and movie night. Mm -hmm. They specifically have pizza and they specifically watch a movie and they get together to do it. And they all go through this certain process every time they get their drinks at the fridge and they do whatever. (laughs) And and maybe if the family's trying to be cutesy and lovey-dovey and whatever, um, they'll be like, before the movie, let's say one nice thing about each other. And like, like all these rituals. That's not born out of like, I won't love you unless you do these things. Mm -hmm. That's like, I love my family. I want to, I want to show up. And these are just the things we do for family movie night. Right. This is how we do it. It'd be weird if the sister showed up and none of the other people were there and she still acted like she was having a conversation, still did some of the same things, set up chairs for four people or whatever. Uh, That wouldn't make sense without the other people, but with the other people, it does without God's presence being in baptism and the Lord's supper, they don't make a lot of sense. Right. Who's it for? Is it magic? Is it like, I'm going to coerce God into accepting me into mm-hmm. eternity. Cause I got baptized. Right. And those are the I got questions dunked. that you're approached with whenever you talk to a new yeah. believer or, or not even a new believer, just somebody who doesn't believe like, yeah. why do I need this? I'm doing perfectly well in my life, yeah. how I am. Like why, like this doesn't make, yeah. Like you're saying, it doesn't make sense. But if it's a relationship with God, mm-hmm. And they're facilitated through traditions God has with his people. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Just like family traditions, when a family, this is like family dinners, the time that we start talking about the good and the bad stuff that happened in our day. Yeah. Like that's a good tradition. It may be weird if you've never done it before and you may be like, why do I have to talk about it? But that's the tradition God's family has. Mm -hmm. That's how they, they relate. And those are the spaces in which they get close to each other. Right. Um, And so, the Lord's Supper is the space in which you get close to God in a certain way, mm. um, like around a table, mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper. Right. Table. Right. Yeah. Well, and you, you said a, a key word there, relationship. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's probably where pre-modern thought was is best described as yeah. in relationship. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more communal with people, like things are developed through a communal understanding of things. Yeah. Um, and, and specifically... It, communal between the natural and the supernatural, yes. the creation, the creator, yes. us and God. Right. There's a communal relationship there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you move into modern, postmodern where it's more individual. Um, it's hard to, hard to understand the sacramental voice uh, when you are so consumeristic, individualized. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's all of these are a lot of give and take mm-hmm. for me. The sacramental voice was a lot more give at the beginning because I did not get it. But that relationship between you and God kind of grounds that whole thing. Um, last time I mentioned, and I think I read the very beginning of um, a, a comment that I wrote on Facebook. That's always the way bad stories start. <laughs> um, but there was a, a worship leader group on uh, Facebook that I'm a part of. Um, and I saw somebody post uh, something on there. It was a quote from Carrie Newhoff. And it said, it's a shame when people come to church looking for God and only find us, mm. which is what this corporate mystic idea is about. So this, uh, this person posted this Carrie Newhoff quote and then said, Hey friends, I would love your input on this quote from Carrie Newhoff. What would it look like to come to church and only find us? And what would it look like to come to church and find God? Um, and so I wrote this whole comment on there. Um, that I think really applies to this conversation today about worship leaders being the corporate mystic. Um, I said, 
I prefer the statement rephrased as a question. Is God a part of our gathered worship services? Mm. Um, and so I go through five things that we do in worship and kind of illustrate it. If God's a part of it, it looks like this. If he isn't, it looks like this. So mm. I said, preaching with God as a part of our gathering uh, focuses on God speaking to us through his word. It can look prophetic, like God's profound glory and his will for his church being spoken um, with authority, or it can look pastoral. This is what God spoke to me in my personal time with him this week. Preaching without God as part of our gatherings uh, involves a professional speaker giving a Christian TED talk, convincing a group of people about a set of points using God's word as proofs for his or her thoughts. Um, scripture reading with God as a part of the services is reading an old love letter with the author standing over your shoulder, grinning from ear to ear as you hear the one you love speaking the same character, the same love and the same devotion they have now from a moment in the past. Scripture reading without God as part of the service is looking over the study guide given by a detached, disinterested professor. So you can be ready for the pop quiz coming any day now. Hmm. Singing with God as a part of our gatherings sees God as the recipient of our songs, which are, a spot, uh, which are a response to his initial move toward us. This singing leads us to intermittent prayer and explosive moments of thankfulness and praise. Singing without God as a part of our gatherings is a comparative. Am I hitting all the notes? Am I better sing? Am I a better singer than the people on stage or in the seats around me? Is this music what I like? Is this music better than last week? Can I get better, better music from a streaming platform? Prayer with God as a part of our gatherings is a moment to be with God intimately, like a couple at a party who go off into a quiet room so they can talk for a minute. Prayer without God as a part of our gatherings is a necessary evil, a transition to smooth out elements in the order of service so people think we're better than we are at live production. The Lord's Supper with God as a part of our gatherings is a peace offering feast between two parties bound together by God, a continuation of Jesus' table ministry where he welcomes, accepts, and communes with people who are heavily unworthy to be in his presence by his abundant grace and a precursor to the wedding banquet of the Lamb and the Lord's Supper um, and, and the communion found between him and the inhabitants of New Jerusalem. The Lord's Supper without God as a part of the gatherings is yet another necessary but unwelcome part of the service that breaks up our otherwise excellent programming. We continue to do it because our highest donors think it's biblically mandated or something. So are we leading spiritual or unspiritual services, spiritual meaning that God is there? That was my whole uh, comment. It was pretty long, but it's, yeah. if God's there, do we treat it like he's there? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which if, would be more of a sacramental yeah. view of things, yeah. Well, it's 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 the God's presence because mm-hmm. because I talk about the Lord's Supper, I also talk about preaching, I also talk about singing, mm-hmm. um, and those hit the focuses of the Pentecostal tradition, the Reformation tradition, the Lord, uh, the sacramental tradition. Um, but in each of those, you can practice them in a pre-modern God's presence interaction with God sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that kind of leads into the next section of the book too, where uh, Zach talks about worship pastors as pointers, um, because it's not yeah. our job to usher people into the presence of God. And so, are we leading spiritual or unspiritual services? Well, some would say that we're leading spiritual services if we are ushering God's presence into the room, right? Like that's our job as worship leaders, and that's not true. Like Jesus. <laughs> that's his job. He's the only true worship leader in that instance. Um, and then he he says this quote, this truth means that we're free from the burden of trying to manufacture God's presence and conjole God's people to see it. Our job is simple. Uh, though we don't usher people into God's presence, we stubbornly, stubbornly, insistently point to the one who does. Yeah. And so if we're trying to figure out, you know, is this a spiritual or unspiritual service? Well, did we point people to preaching with God, that we point to scripture, reading with God, uh, singing with God. Like we, we want to involve God in every aspect of what we are doing. So did we, did we point people to those things or do yeah. we point to 
the production side? Do we point like where 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 is where are we pointing people to focus their attention? Yeah, and I think um, that's there's there's a difference between a kid writing a letter to Santa and a kid on Christmas Eve. The cookies and the milk are out, and he's walking around, and he's like, "I hope nobody eats these cookies." Like, <laughs> like <laughs> one is like. I hope if I do good enough, I send this away and I'll get a response later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the level of, of intentionality around God's presence that we bring um, without, tr- without assuming that he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I think trying to manufacture it is equally as bad. Yeah. The, the, the balance between doing your job as a worship leader, but not trying to take over Jesus job as the actual senior worship leader actually doing it. Mm -hmm. The balance is just trying to interact with God, Mm -hmm. trying to, to use Jesus, bringing you toward God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People aren't seeking you. They're seeking God through you. Right. Like that's, that's what I think we said in a previous podcast. That's what Zach was trying to say with the story of the man that came up to him. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, God, he was seeking God in the way that he was approaching Zach. Um, but we are to be used as God's vessels. It's not, it's not us really doing anything of our own volition. It's really God working in and through us, uh, to present him to a lost and broken world. Yeah. The best thing we can do is submit to God's leading, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. God's leading might be hit a bunch of wrong notes. Yeah. God can still uh, use that. If that made you look silly, would you be okay with that? Um, God's leading could be totally ad lib something that you had really planned to do a different way. God's leading could also be praying about how to do something in a service Mm. for months before it happens with groups of people, just pouring your heart out and asking God and, and uh, trying to get God to lead you way in advance. Um, but no matter what, trying to lean on God to show off who God is Mm -hmm. through whatever he has you do. Yeah. So yeah. I guess the main word there would be trust. Uh, yeah. Spiritual service is rooted in trust. Yeah. In trust and in God is the end mm-hmm. and not the means. Yeah. Yeah. So as pointers, uh, we need to help the church wake up to the presence of God. Yeah. What does that mean to you, Ryan? It's uh, Zach Hicks had a few points about how to do this. Um, and I deeply agree with them, um, especially this first one. Uh, we should continually cultivate a sensitive awareness in ourselves, yeah. an awareness of God's presence. Um, and I think the the best way to do that is to not pair it to anything that is circumstantial. So he says, pray for it. Pray and ask God, make me aware of your presence. Um, and I think that is doubly effective. Number one, you're praying and asking God, for something he is ready and willing to give. Mm-hmm. So he'll probably do it. And something that you've probably experienced before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, I think we talked about the song Holy Spirit before, but that's, uh, there's a line in that song. I've tasted a sweet scene of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Like you've yeah. tasted and you've seen, like, you know, that that's available to you in his presence. Um, so ask him to open your eyes and to be aware. Yeah. God has the power to answer that prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and God has the care for you to answer that prayer. He may not do it exactly how you want him to. <laughs> Hardly ever, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> it may be that um, like like a couple months into um, my first worship ministry, I had I was giving communion meditations every week. I had one planned out. And I got up on stage and it came time to give it and I didn't. And I totally switched it to something that afterward I was like, that was the stupidest thing I could have ever said. It made no sense. I don't know how anybody would like, let me keep my job after it wasn't bad. It was just like, it it wasn't bad as a negative. It was just bad as like that totally missed the mark of what I thought a communion meditation should be. I had some, mm-hmm. Anyway, so basically I had the scripture picked out. I was going to talk about it. I was going to tie it to communion. And I got up there and I, f- I felt like God was pulling me to talk about um, one of our mutual friends 
and how they were highly qualified for ministry, for worship ministry, for youth ministry, um, but had been working at a local store in Joplin for years without being able to find a ministry position. How is that a communion meditation? What does that have to do with it? But I got up and gave it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried really hard to tie it to something, but I, I failed. I just <laughs> flopped around verbally and just like, like tried. And I got off stage and was like, what was that? Mm-hmm. What did I even just do? Well, then I got put in a small group in the next couple uh, months that started meeting. That was about November. I got put in the small group about mid January. It was Sharon and I, uh, my wife, Sharon, and then three other couples and one had been going to our church already. And two, that was their first Sunday. They both had in their couple, their two separate couples, one of the partners not be able to find a job, even though they're overqualified for a long time. And that communion meditation was what made them think this is where I need to be. And I was like, <laughs> how in the world? They both mentioned it months later. Like, yeah, that was powerful for me. And I was like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't do, I didn't think it was powerful for anybody, but God made good out of it. He led me to that place. He helped me do it. I did it. I felt bad about it because it didn't meet my standards, yeah. but by God's standards, it was great. Mm. He did exactly what he wanted to in that moment. Um, but it was only by, by prayer and asking for it. Yeah. Um, I'd been praying for a little bit that, that God would use me. Um, I, I use this wording, use me because of, and in spite of what I'm gifted at. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I would even pray that worship with my worship team, God, God work in, in this church and in these people's hearts because of, and in spite of us, mm-hmm. um, through us and <laughs> totally around us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he really did something powerful there. But like, if I was grading that, if I was a professor and looking at me doing that and grading, it, I'd be like, F, what were you even doing? That didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You never know the impact that your words are going to have. Yeah. Um, I mean, God does. And that's yeah. why he puts you in situations like that. And but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I've remembered my point after yeah. I said all that, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, I didn't feel God's presence in that moment. I felt shame. I felt weird. And then they said that months later and I was like, Oh, that's where God was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was there with me. He was there using me. He was there with the people I was communicating with. He was all around that situation and I didn't see it in the moment. I just felt shame because I thought I embarrassed myself. (laughs) And at the same time, God was there working in me, working through me. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know if I've shared the story before, and this was completely out of a church context, but um, one evening I was home by myself. My wife left with the kids and um, traveled to uh, like two hours away. They were going to be gone for most of the night. And probably about 30 minutes after they left, I get a knock on the door and I open it and it's uh, someone selling vacuums. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you don't always want to let people in to do a vacuum presentation presentation yeah. because I mean, I know exactly yeah. the kind of salesperson <laughs> right. you're talking about. Right. And, uh, and it was a lady that came to the door and I was like, well, I don't really feel you like comfortable with you coming in here and giving the presentation. Cause my wife's not here. She's like, Oh, well, it's okay. It's not me. And I was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, we got a guy, a new guy. He just started. He's in the, in the van. He just needed to get some, some reps under his belt. And I was like, Oh, okay, I guess I'll let this guy come in. And, uh, so they, they brought him in, they brought all the stuff in, they got him set up and they're like, all right, we'll be back in a couple hours. So they literally just <laughs> dropped off this guy in my house to give a vacuum presentation. Yeah. And uh, this was, like I said, it was his first day on the job. He was a nervous wreck uh, yeah. reading off the pamphlet the whole time. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to look at this. And it's like, it's all right, man. It's like, hey, let's just let, let's just get to know each other a little bit. Maybe that'll help you be a little bit more comfortable. And so I got to know him, you know, come to find out yeah. that um, his parents are Christians, his grandparents are Christians. Like he grew up in a Christian household his whole life. Um and he sat down at one point on my fireplace area and just started crying. <laughs> and I was like, well, what in the world's going on? Well, out of nowhere, he's like, you know, I don't know why I'm telling you this. And, yeah. uh, you know, as soon as he said that, I was like, well, well okay, God, what, what, why is he yeah. telling me this? Um, but he was about to commit suicide, um, like three days prior to 
him being at my place. And uh, he had just got hurt on a job. He's a welder by trade. And he wasn't able mm. to go back to work there. And so he, you know, out of a lot of money. This was the first job that came up and it had been the, like the most horrible day that he's ever had on the job. Um, and so I, you know, consoled him a little bit and um, was like, you know, there's a reason why you're here for sure. Um, do you like this job? I just, you know, kept asking him, like, why are you doing this job? There's many jobs out there. You, I mean, even going to McDonald's, you're probably going to make more than what you're doing now because you have to make a sale in order yeah. to make any money. Like, this is like not the great job for you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he had just recently got married and he was really nervous about what his wife might say if he said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so we called her. We got her on the phone and we called her. Um, anyway, the people never came back for him. And so never, never came back for him. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'll drive you, drive you home where you live. And he lived in Springdale, Arkansas. <laughs> so oh, no. I had to drive quite a while to get him home. Um, but he was just floored. Like, why you're doing this for me? And I was like, yeah, man, that's all right. Like, um, so that night he quit his job. We got to talk to his wife on the phone. Everything was going to be fine. Um, but then that Christmas I get a phone call from his dad um, so this was like three months later Yeah, saying, uh, you know, Merry Christmas. You don't know me, but I'm the dad of so-and-so and, um, just really grateful for what you did for my son. And, uh, yeah, you just never know, like just opening my door, you know? Yeah. And, and that's sometimes, that's sometimes all we need to do is just open the door to the presence of God. Um, you never know how, what's going to happen, what you're going to be able to do and, um, yeah, I guess yeah. that's more of an encouragement. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I love those kinds of stories. Yeah. Zach um, makes the point also that uh, uh, trying to make ourselves more aware to God's presence is contagious. Yeah. That that being aware or not being aware, both of them are contagious. Um, and I feel like that makes sense in your story that um, the guy you talked to, um, who you helped out, um, he found what you did contagious mm. and that like, it didn't just happen to him. It happened like in his heart. Right. And it changed something about him and it, and it overcame barriers. And it's like it, like his dad knew about it because mm. it was contagious. Yeah. It, it made it past just his ears. Right. He was um, seeking the comfort of God in something at that moment at his lowest point, And he couldn't find it until he randomly knocked or had somebody <laughs> randomly knock on my door to come into my house. And, and yeah. you know, he was able to see God through the interaction yeah. that happened that day. Like, yeah, you just never know. Um, so yeah. definitely allow your, your doors to be open, um, for yeah. the lack of a better metaphor. Yeah. Um, and, and just allow the, the spirit to work. Yeah. That's a super good word. Um, Zach makes another point that, uh, in our services, um, we should build the language of presence and encounter into them. Um, and I think that's, that's been a really important thing for me too, especially, like I said, I grew up in a church where communion was Jesus died, be sad about it. Um, there's no presence or encounter in any of that. It assumes that he didn't make it back, that he's not alive and reigning and, and can be with you right now. It, the way that that was phrased every week was like, man, isn't it rough that Jesus died? That sucks. Period. (laughs) And so, so communion was never a a presence encounter kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Um, but talking about communion, like, like, uh, first of all, as a response to most of the service, yeah, we've, we've, um, come from our busy weeks. We've come from our vin- minivans with our screaming kids and we've come to this place to recenter ourselves on God's truth and on God's, uh, presence yeah. on, on being allegiant to God and submitting to him. And so what is the reward and, and the outcome of all that? Well, it's communion. Mm-hmm. We get to spend some time with God, right? actually spend time with God like he did with all those people in his table ministry, Mm -hmm. like he did with the lepers and other sick people that he healed. Um, like he did, um, with his friends, with his disciples, we get to spend time with him now. That's very different. Mm -hmm. Now I know that's also different topically, but even building in the kind of language where we can talk about the same kind of stuff, but talk about it in a way like Jesus is actually there. Mm -hmm. Like God, the father's actually there. Um, 
actually with you as you do it. Like, like worship is actually a call and response with him instead of a letter to Santa kind of mentality (laughs) where it's like, I hope he gets this. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you, Ryan, for interacting with me on the worship pastor. Uh, This has been a lot of fun conversations so far, and I look forward to the ones that we're going to have. Um, Speaking of that, our next conversation will be over chapter three of this book, which is the worship pastor as doxological philosopher. I am really excited yeah, for that a good one. one. And it's, uh, don't, don't be afraid of those words. We'll, we'll explain those later. Yeah. Um, but, but not now, but not now. This is the, the this is the, the cliffhanger of <laughs> no chapter spoilers. two. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, yeah. but if you want to hear any more, um, podcasts, we have plenty up for you to listen to. Um, just, Search Respond Worship Podcast on any um, streaming platform that you use. You should be able to find it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, also, we'd seriously, I want to say this again. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Um, or the whole purpose of this is to ignite a community of worship teams. Um, so if you're hearing this, please <laughs> respond to us. <laughs> respond. Exactly. Um, and and uh, talk to us on social media. Um comment on or rate or whatever you do to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but also send us your ministry wins, send yeah. us suggestions, send us whatever. Yeah. Um, ask to be a guest on the podcast. It's really low bar. So <laughs> right. do it. Yeah, send us an audio clip. Uh, <laughs> that, that would be really helpful too. So that yeah. way we can, you can hear your voice and we can be like, you're here with us. It'd be great. Yeah. Uh, and our email is podcast at respondworship.org. So that's one way you can contact us or you can find us on Facebook. Um, just search respond worship. Uh, I think it's respond worship retreat on Facebook. Uh, or you could, you could probably yeah. just type in respond worship and find it pretty quickly. So, um, so yeah, we hope to, to hear from you soon. Yeah. And, uh, this is Jeremiah and Ryan signing off. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Respond Worship Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to our website and social media. Follow and subscribe to keep up with new episodes and feel free to rate and review us. We want this to be the best possible resource for you and your team, so your feedback is extremely important. We also want to hear from you. Send us your questions, content suggestions, ministry wins, and stories, and we will gladly consider them for future episodes. Just email us at podcast at respondworship.org. That's podcast at respondworship.org. We look forward to welcoming you into another conversation in a couple of weeks. Take care.